And I tell people in practice, every day it's either Michael Jordan, Scottie Pippen, Ron Harper, Steve Kerr, or Tony Kukos. Those are my assignments for four to six months. And welcome to the Run the Race podcast, where we talk about fitness and faith on a weekly basis. And we all need motivation, maybe to lose weight or get stronger physically or get closer to God as we all seek purpose in life. I'm your host, Jason Dennis, hoping to inspire you to run the race of life as we sit down with fascinating guests digging deeper into the mind, body, and soul. Let's do this. Hey everyone, uh, how's your uh, year going so far? We're just a few weeks into 2021 and I uh, hope you're uh, doing great, staying healthy, uh, getting fit and uh, I'm also focused on your faith and just overall wellness as a human being. Uh, we're going through a lot now as a nation um, and you may be going through a lot, you and your family. So our prayers are definitely with you that uh, uh, you have peace and happiness and, and good health right now. And uh, uh, thank you so much for joining us for the Run the Race podcast, episode number 51. If you missed our last one, the 50th episode, it was kind of a best of. We uh, had about 20-plus uh, guests on there, some highlights from folks talking about some uh, really fascinating stories and inspiring things. And, and my guest this time around is a, uh, an owner and a coach at a uh, some local gyms here in the Georgia area. But he also played basketball uh, briefly alongside Michael Jordan and also played in the NCAA tournament. We're going to talk to uh, Coach Sly uh, Abdul-Fox uh, about his uh, time with Michael Jordan. Uh, he says uh, our conversation is about BFF, Basketball, Fitness, and Faith. Uh, he's going to talk to us about motivation for the new year, uh, mental strength for fitness and life. So looking forward to conversation with him. And one of the things I found on his Facebook page, uh, a quote from him is, my controllables are my actions, my responses, my effort, and my attitude. That's what I have control over. Anything outside of that, I give away and trust in the Lord to be able to handle the things I can't. So that, that is a great attitude uh, when it comes to giving things to God and uh, really controlling how you respond. Because sometimes we're reactionary to somebody's, you know, uh, treats us bad, so we have to treat them bad back. But it's not about that. Uh, talking about basketball in this podcast is actually, um, no, I'm not sure if you've heard me say this before or not, but it is my favorite sport. Actually, growing up, since I was about four or five years old in North Carolina, uh, where basketball is king, I play basketball pretty much every single day growing up. Uh, a lot of time, you know, in in uh, and on the driveway or going out to parks, things things like that. And so, I uh, really loved playing basketball and uh, uh, watching the sport. And I'm a big Tar Heel fan. I was at the Final Four in Houston several years ago and watched the game-winning shot versus. Uh, the Carolina Tar Heels, when they lost, went, went back and won it the next year. Also, when I was about maybe 10 years old, I was at a basketball camp in North Carolina. Michael Jordan was one of the guests. We were all sitting around uh, the basketball court with him, and he uh, put a blindfold on and shot 10 free throws, swished every single one of them. We were just in awe, and uh, he was talking about focus and concentration. And uh, I, I run a lot now, so I don't play basketball as much, but when I when I do... I have some friends who, who have a nickname for me. This is their nickname, not mine. Uh, they call me Turbo. 
uh, because I guess I'm, I'm fast. I, I hustle a lot. I'm trying to make up for my lack of a shot now. Uh, I play a lot of defense. And so they call me turbo uh, using those fast twitch muscles versus the uh, slow twitch ones I use when I'm doing endurance and running. Um, and speaking of basketball, a little quick history lesson for you here. Uh, James Naismith, he, he created the sport. He actually was at a, uh, a YMCA training school in Springfield, Massachusetts. He was a physical education instructor, and there were some young men there that were snowed in. So he was trying to think of a new game to distract them from you know, having cabin fever. Then in, in the late 1891, he had a breakthrough. This was uh, December of that year. Uh, he created this game, basketball. Um, it came from the fact that he had two peach baskets up that he had nailed at each end of the gym and told the guys the idea was to throw the ball into the other team's peach basket. He devised 13 original rules for basketball. And then in 1898, Naismith was hired as the first men's basketball coach at the University of Kansas. The rest is history. We have March Madness, maybe the most popular event in all of sports. We didn't have it in 2020, so hopefully we will have it in 2021. Now back uh, to uh, my guest for this uh, number 51 podcast, which you can find on Apple, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, SoundCloud. And you can also go to WTVM.com slash podcast and listen to any of the previous episodes. We've had some really great guests, including the one uh, this time around, Coach Abdul Fox, who is a franchisee and partner of Orange Theory Fitness in Columbus, Cumming, and Peachtree City, Georgia. He's also a partner and coach for Red Athletics in Roswell and Buford. He began playing basketball growing up in Queens, New York, trained by a legendary coach, Vincent Smith. You may know him. He's the older brother of TNT analyst and NBA champ Kenny Smith. He eventually transferred uh, up in school in college to the University of Rhode Island, named second team All-Atlantic 10 Conference, appearing in the NIT and NCAA tournament, even voted by Dick Vitale, who was a great sportscaster, as the nation's top 15 small forward in the country. He attended NBA pre-draft camps, including in Chicago, for the Chicago Bulls, drafted the second round of the CBA, picked number 40 by the Pittsburgh Piranhas. He was a free agent for the Denver Nuggets, also for the Chicago Bulls, then also played in Italy, France, Spain, Israel, Switzerland, Venezuela, Dominican Republic, Turkey, and others. Got his bachelor's degree from the University of Rhode Island. And uh, here's my conversation with Coach Fox. I'd like to welcome uh, Coach Abdul Fox uh, to the show. Thank you so much for coming by. Oh, it's an absolute pleasure. Thank, appreciate you inviting me. Yeah, and so some people that may be former teammates of yours in basketball call you uh, Sly Fox. Sly Fox. I was pretty uh, crafty when I when I played at my collegiate level, and the commentators came up with that name, and it kind of stuck with me for a while. And st- still crafty now <laughs> as a, a partner and coach at uh, Orange Theory Fitness and also with a uh, uh, partner with Redline Athletics. So still crafty now, right? I, I guess you can say. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're going to talk to you uh, today about you know uh, this this episode's coming out just yep. as we're starting 2021. So uh, we all need motivation for the new year. Uh, those resolutions, and you need to get into the gym and work out. So you have some advice for that. We're going to talk about your uh, your basketball career and and uh, how you're still you know uh, decades later coaching and mentoring folks and and uh, you know how you have you know you know when you when you battle things how you use faith to get yes, through those. 
course, of course. So, but first, I wanted to talk to you about uh, probably my favorite athlete yes. of all time, the goat, as I call him, <laughs> Michael Jordan. There's uh, the debate about whether you know is he the best, and uh, there's no debate in my eyes. Um, but uh, I understand you have a, a connection to MJ, to Michael Jordan, not maybe when he was 23 or 45. So tell me, tell me about that. How you got to know him a little bit, and and in uh, your basketball career? Yeah, well, I was fortunate enough. Uh, got invited to Chicago Bulls training camp. Uh, you know, they had a big. Uh, I would say they enjoyed big guards who could handle the ball and still, you know be able to be at that size. So I got invited to camp, uh, went through rookie camp, and then veteran camp comes. And obviously in veteran camp, your, your veterans are there. So in walks Michael. And it seems like everything just went in slow motion. You know, once he walked in the room, it's like, okay, there he goes. He's just very captivating. But uh, it's funny, I kept a journal for about, I'd say, three, three to four months just on my, you know, interaction with him. And I realized my level of play wasn't where it was supposed to be because I respected him too much. So it's funny, when I stopped keeping the journal and uh, my level of play increased, he kind of took a liking to me. And it was I was fortunate, my lock was right next to his. So here I am, a rookie, and every day, you know, Michael's just getting dressed or coming into to, to work, and I'm, I'm right next to him. So it was just a, a great experience. But it was funny, the story we were sharing is the year he came back, he won number 45, and he ended up losing to, I think, the Orlando Magic. And he gives me all his practice stuff with number 45. You know, I'm right next to his locker. It's like, man, I don't want anything to do with this number 45. You know, it was the year that they lost. And he went back to wearing number 23. And I didn't even think to, to hoard it. As I told you, I gave it out to all the kids on the block. Uh, but I was fortunate enough to give me a pair of shoes and sign it when I got released. And it was just a, a humbling experience. Now, do you still keep in touch with uh, any of the, you know, maybe guys that are still involved with the NBA, guys that you played with that are, are still maybe, uh, you know, were uh, became all-stars and everything else? Well, most of my, my friends are, you know, my class are either they're scouts for the NBA, a couple, couple of them are assistant coaches. Uh, you know, Lamar Odom came after me at Rhode Island, so I'm, you know, still in contact with him. Katino Mobley was a freshman when I was a senior at Rhode Island. So just a lot of friends. So I can, can you know – a root for them, you know, uh, Ron Artest or Metawall Peace. You know, I grew up with him in Queens, New York. So I rooted for them when they were in the NBA teams. But most of them are either scouting now or, or in a coaching position. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm glad that we're, we're in, in COVID, we were able to have basketball. I know we're having some of these college basketball games getting yes. canceled. NBA got delayed. But now we've got both going on right now. Hopefully we'll be able to continue uh, even in the midst of the pandemic because I know you're excited about seeing real basketball. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I was kind of, I was actually excited when the NCAA tournament was coming to Atlanta, and so I'd already was was, was anticipating getting tickets, and that's when when COVID hit. But I just think it's a great opportunity for the kids to, you know, get out and compete and get you know the pandemic off their mind and 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 share their skill set that they they can at the collegiate level. I'm just happy for the NBA to give me something to watch on TV. Yeah, yeah. I, well, I, I kind of, I, I told you via text that I, I'm, I'm sorry that that you and I weren't able to kind of ball a little bit. Uh, <laughs> I, I assume you still play basketball, so I, I do, I do. It, it's still, it's still in my blood. It's still in my blood. I don't think it'll ever go away. Yeah. Well, we we want to get to know you a little bit uh, sure. before we talk about some of the New Year's resolutions and advice for the gym and and uh, what what you know what your career was like and, and athletics. Um, I wanted to kind of do a fast four, which I told you about. Okay, kind of some rapid fire questions. So uh, putting you on the hot seat here. It's all good. So what is your current uh, job description at work and also at home now? It's funny. Uh, I'm, I'm a franchisee. I'm an owner, but I would never say that's my description. I, I really like to be considered a coach. Uh, I still like to give back to the community, give back to whoever steps in 
a classroom with me. So I never wear that bravado that I'm an ownership. You would kind of never even hear it unless someone just says, hey, you know, he's the owner. Uh, I very rarely kind of wear that bravado. But I am an owner. Uh, at home, I, I guess I would say I'm the boss. I'm not married. I don't have any kids. Uh, and I just kind of, you know, enjoy uh, the single life, I guess, if that's what they call it. <laughs> you're, you're your own boss, right? Yes, 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 yes. Um, and I know that you, obviously, your focus is inspiring others, helping others be fit. But how do you personally stay fit on a regular, weekly, or daily basis? Uh, probably, uh, Armist Theories is still a, a, a fan of mine. I, I try to take class three to four times a week and just engage with members. Whether if I'm visiting a different studio, I just enjoy that environment. I think it's very community-orientated. Uh, I play basketball when I can. Uh, I don't mind shooting for hours. I really don't go up and down. I always seem to get injured and end up in the hospital. So I stay away from running field court. But Orange Theory or, you know, I do a couple miles every day when I have to. My my go-tos. Nice. Um, Do you have like a spiritual or inspirational mantra or motto that you maybe live by? You know what? One of the things I, I truly try to do is a hashtag is add value. Uh, whether I'm meeting someone for the first time, whether they've come to class, or whether you have an opportunity to share a story or mentor someone, I, I think that's simply what I try to do is add value. Yeah, help move people forward. Yes. In, in whatever way that is. Yes, yes. And uh, last of the fast four is uh, what is something unique about uh, Coach Abdul Fox? I don't know if it's unique. I, I would say I'm just a, still a young kid at heart. You know, I got a, my 50th birthday coming up in January, and – it's still just young and excited and, and full of energy and try to tackle each day. Sometimes it can be a little daunting based on what's, you know, the climate, whether it's politics, whether it's, you know, racial tension, but extremely just try to live a, a positive life. So the, 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 the big five O, is that what you said? Yeah, the big five O. So, so when's the last <laughs> time you were like played um, competitive or organized basketball? Was it 30 years old or? or? Yeah, probably 32. Okay. 31, 32. Right. So it's been a little, a little while. Yeah. You still yeah. got, you still, I'm sure you still have games. So. When, when, when I touch <laughs> it and I get around it, it's still a nostalgia where I get excited about it. Where I feel like I'm picking it up for the first time. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, you know, as this episode comes out, uh, in, you know, around New Year's Eve, New yes. Year's Day, um, Tell me about uh, what what kind of advice or motivation do you have for folks in terms of you know getting into the gym or going to work out because we make these resolutions yes but we talked about on off mic that it oftentimes um, they, they fall short yeah so how how do you make those goals and stick to them I think you got to you know set small goals and as you achieve those small goals the big picture can come to light at the end uh, I think you also have to have an inner peace to try to figure out balance between what society thinks you should look like, what you feel you should look like, and to me, just overall feeling well. And that happens through exercise, whether it's with us, whether it's with another fitness modality. The idea that you move in your body, I think, is key You know, going into the new year. And sustaining that, I think, is going to be those small victories that you achieve. And so, uh, you know, for those who maybe are intimidated by the, the gym, by – uh, you know, uh, an Orange Theory fitness mm-hmm. studio, um, and maybe they've been on the couch during this uh, COVID <laughs> yes. pandemic uh, yes. or during the holidays. They've been eating a lot of food, like I have. Uh, what would what would your advice would be? Because I mean, they, you know, people are scared. They're like, I, I I don't know how to lift weights. I don't, you know, I'm I don't think I can, you know, keep up with Coach right. Fox. I think the the key is to start small increments. Whether it's a five minute walk, whether it's a, a five minute video you watch on TV, whether it's You take three minutes to doze into meditation. I think that slowly starting helps move the needle. 
Otherwise, you consistently can be procrastinate. Say, okay, I'll do it tomorrow. I'll do it tomorrow. So I would say start small. Uh, support system can be key. Whether you have a friend, a coworker, or a family member, someone who can take the journey with you, you, it tends to have a lot more success than you're trying to do it by yourself. Yeah, because, I mean, I know with running, you know, uh, I recommend to folks a lot of times couch to 5K yeah. because it's just it's 30 minutes three times a week. And and, uh, and you kind of, you know, you, you don't – because, I, I mean, I'm sure like people, you know, like yourself, uh, people that were athletes yes. growing up, you think, oh, I can go out there and I can run five miles or I can go out there and play basketball for an hour or two. But, you know, uh, our age and our lack of activity can, yes. can catch up with us, right? Yes, yes, agreed. <laughs> uh, big, big fan of music. Uh, in event – if you want to slowly start into something, you know, dance for 20 minutes. Okay. You know, that activity, you know, gets the endorphins flowing. People don't realize the chemical reaction your body has to exercise. I think sometimes we all get caught up with the mirror on whether how you look, but moving for 30 minutes does a lot for your body. And I know I've I've been uh, had the opportunity to take a class with you a couple years ago, and and uh, you know speaking of dancing, you you I know you like to have fun <laughs> when when people are going through and they're sweating and they're kind of like oh I gotta continue on this or get my heart rate up. You're you're kind of help you know helping people to to have fun right in the process. I, I don't think exercise has to be painful. Uh, I think we provide an environment where it's fun activity. Yes, you're going to work hard, but if you're doing that type of vitamin, environment, the hour or the 20 minutes or the 30 minutes goes by real fast. Yeah, absolutely. That's, that's, that's good for <laughs> sure. Um, and uh, take us back a little bit in time to uh, okay. t- to when you were uh, a young lad. Uh, you're still young now, <laughs> but uh, your basketball career, I mean, have you played basketball? I mean, when did you start? When you were like two or three years old? It, it, <laughs> it's funny. I had, I would say, a late bloomer. I, I played pot one of football first. Okay. Uh, I thought I was going to be a running back in the NFL. And uh, I broke my wrist age 14. And my parents said, listen, you can't play football no more. And I had a little Italian kid that was in my junior high school class. He said, hey, come to me on my church basketball team. And that's how I started. So I started around age 14, 15, and it just had great mentors, great coaches that really believed in me and helped me develop a skill set. So I wouldn't say I was the most talented kid, but once I understood how to work hard and what I wanted to achieve, I took those small steps. And what's funny, my first step was I wanted to just play in high school. And then as I got to high school, I wanted to, you know, start in high school. And then I took that to the collegiate level and kind of took those small steps to becoming where the NBA was very realistic. Yeah, and so uh, and and height uh, is is matters a lot in basketball, <laughs> and you're you're a tall man. So were you uh, pretty tall as a teenager? I mean, or what are what are you, how you know when were you at your uh, your tallest? I guess it's funny. My dad was six five, so you would I never really envisioned being his height because you always seemed like this overpowering man. But I was a late bloomer. I, I grew my senior year of high school and still my freshman year of college. So I grew up almost a point guard, was always handling the ball, then I grew in size. So that's what kind of, I say, gave me longevity. I could handle the ball and still be at that size, 6'6", six, 6'7". Six, six, so were you small forward, power forward? Uh, small forward, shooting guard, I, I could really shoot. But I, the advantage of being with the Bulls, they like you to be able to play the one, two, and the three. And with my size, I was able to do that. And you were talking about, you know, having some good coaches and mentors. Uh, you mentioned to me before the podcast chat that uh, Kenny Smith, uh, his dad, I think, was one of your uh, um, people that helped you learn the trade. Yes, his, his older brother is a big, uh, I would say, influencer in the New York City when I came up. Uh, you know, when I grew up, it was Kenny Smith, Kenny Anderson. They were all under Vincent. So that's who I trained with as I came up under him. And then he passed me on to some other people who, you know, still developed me. But... That's who I trained with, you know, four or five days a week. And just that tutelage and the wisdom he brings to the game was just amazing. 
Now, uh, in in the streets of New York, and uh, I mean, you're playing organized ball and maybe playing for high school and, and, and church leagues. But uh, is it I mean, is it pretty rough? I mean, in terms of playing playground basketball and and uh, you know getting maybe hurt out there. Well, you, as a kid, all you know is concrete. Uh, it's funny. I I remember you know going away to prep school and just. You know, that facility alone, I had never seen anything <laughs> like that growing up in New York. So it's funny. You always you would hear someone's New York players, we could always dribble and get to the hole because when you grow up outside, you don't know about the wind. So we were never good shooters, supposed to be always because you had the wind factor. So finally when you got into a gym where you didn't have to go outside and work out, it was like heaven. It was like heaven. <laughs> <laughs> there's there's no wind inside. There's no of. wind inside, so you, you can shoot your jump shot. <laughs> so, um, how did you end up? I mean, it, you had a great high school career. Uh, what was was a was it a big decision to in terms of what college to go to? I know you ended up at Rhode Island. Well, it's funny. I went away to boarding school. I got an opportunity to go away to boarding school, which is the tuition probably was equivalent to what it was to go to college. Uh, Vincent sp- passed me on to a, a gentleman who was the dean of students of a called Berkshire School in Sheffield, Mass. So I went to a school that was known for academics. I didn't go to Oak Hill. I didn't go to MCI. I didn't go to Brewster Academy. So I was still under the radar. But I had a great senior year. We won a New England championship. You know, I was first team all New England. And I probably had one Division One offer, and the rest were Division II. Um, so I took a visit to Springfield College, and another coach told St. Peter's College about me, and that's where – I started my college career and uh, had a good freshman year, but just the environment of the city, you know, I had a couple conflicts with some players and the coach was very abusive verbally and I, I didn't want that for myself. So I ended up transferring to Rhode Island and from there, you know, the rest kind of took, took care of itself. Wow. So, uh, you know, how many times did you end up playing in the NCAA tournament, the big dance? I uh, went to the NIT my sophomore year, uh, beat Vanderbilt. Uh, who else did we beat? Uh, Boston College, double overtime. We lost to Utah. And then the f- next year we went to the NCAA tournament. Uh, we beat Purdue, which at that time had Glenn Robinson, Glenn Big Dog Robinson. And then we lost to North Carolina in Winston-Salem, North Carolina. And that was the, the year they, they won the national championship. So I can say we at least lost to the best. But when you're in college, all you want to do is go to the dance. You just want to say, I want to go to the dance. So I got to experience that, and it was absolutely wonderful. Yeah, well, go Tar Heels. You know, right. I, I'm, <laughs> I'm a Carolina fan. But do you still follow you know, Rhode Island? Do you like – um, I mean, is that the team you root for? Or, I mean, I don't know if you have roots with another team, perhaps? I still have, you know, the camaraderie I have with my teammates. We're still friends to this day. And that's the beauty of social media now for me is able to stay in contact with, with those players. We typically try to get together every year. The big interstate rivalry is University of Rhode Island versus Providence College. So we try to always get together for that game. A couple of friends, you know, they're coaching now. A couple of your Carolina guys, I know them. They're coaching in some college teams. So I, I root for them when I get a chance to see, you know, that they're doing well. Yeah. And now, uh, and then uh, from Rhode Island, I mean, tell me about your opportunity to play pro basketball, either in the in the U.S. and, and also overseas. Well, it's funny. You, you asked the question about faith, and uh, my faith was really tested the year my father died. My first job overseas was actually in Taiwan. Hmm. And you didn't, I didn't really put two and two together, you know, why Taiwan? But the experience I had of his death, being within that culture, trying to get more spiritual, trying to be more Zen-like, trying to be in tune on what's happening, I think was the perfect country for me to go to my first job overseas. Yeah. And it was really enlightening. I learned to keep a journal and just kind of embrace that culture and what it was like to have someone that close to you where they pass away. Yeah, and talk to me about that, about, you know, was that, um, I assume you and your father were very close, 
and um, and it, was it just kind of an all of a sudden thing? And was it something that you were just you were angry about, or, or obviously very very sad? It's it's funny. I'm, I find myself in fitness. I remember my dad walking up the stairs, and he would have to stop and beat his heart because his clogs was his arteries was clogged. Hmm. And I wasn't that in tune with fitness to even understand that. And my dad was, you know, walking in the park, sat on the bench, and, you know, passed away. I spoke to him on Thursday. My dad, my mom called me on Saturday. Your, your dad passed away. So it was quick. So then I had to take the responsibility of the family and kind of, you know, say, okay, I put the family on my shoulders. Therefore, I stopped chasing the NBA. I was like, you know what? Let me go overseas, make some solid money, and be able to take care of the family. And still just trying to cope with the experience of him not being there. Yeah. Was it something where, you know, maybe to this day, you know, um, decades later that uh, fitness is important to you and staying healthy with your heart and everything else? Do you think that had an influence that your father's death on maybe even what you're doing today? I think I understand it more. So when I'm dealing with clients or, you know, someone saying they're tired or I hear someone has, you know, type 2 diabetes, I understand the the importance of movement. And his experience, I think, was just uh, eye-opener on me, even myself, staying healthy. You know, even at my age, I'm, I'm still just very active because, you know, I, I think 63 was way too young to, to pass away for something I think I could have changed if I had been more in tune on what was wrong. Yeah, and you talked about kind of taking that spiritual journey and going to Taiwan and learning how to kind of, um, you know, maybe kind of listen, like, internally more, I guess. was that is that something that you've carried with you to this day? Is something that you, I mean, like you said, you remember back? Yeah. I think that was the foundation, uh, being in that particular country and having people around me to, to guide me in that direction. Like, I, you know, I wasn't say I, I wasn't didn't have a faith. I was just never really tested. Like, I never had experience to death. I didn't have a childhood friend. That was my first real one. And it to be my dad, I was, like, in a whirlwind. But that culture, that experience – and trying to understand that inner peace with it and understand he's always with you. I learned that from my experience in Taiwan. And you were talking about how, um, you know, the, the, when that happened, you kind of put the uh, your, um, you know, kind of pursuit to the NBA kind of in the, in the back seat. Uh, did it, when did it kind of crop back up again? And when did you, your, your opportunities to come and play with the Bulls or with other teams? Well, after I left Taiwan, that's when I got in, in, invited to uh, play with the Bulls. And again, we, we talk about faith. Uh, had I not got cut from the Bulls, uh, there was a big event that year. It was called the Million Man March. My dad wanted to go. Hmm. I got cut. I went home. He was on the couch. And I said, Dad, I thought you wanted to go to the Million Man March. Yeah, but you weren't going to be here. I was like, well, we're here. Let's go. And my dad, my mom drove us to Port Authority. We jumped on a, a, a Greyhound bus, went to the Million Man March. I ran into a kid that I grew up with. There's a million people here. He lives on my block. He takes a picture. My dad dies two weeks later. Wow. Had I not got cut from the Bulls, I wouldn't have had the experience of such a magnitude event with my father. Yeah, and this was in, in D.C. This was right? in D.C., yeah. Wow. So I think when you talk about faith, I said things happen for a reason. Yeah, I was upset. I got cut from the Bulls, but to have that experience with my dad and all of a sudden pass two weeks later, to me was like, okay, you know, things happen for a reason. And that's when I kind of dove into it more, trying to understand the spiritual side of, of who I need to be. And this was one of your, um, you know, um, in terms of uh, biggest events or, or la- last memories with your dad, right? Yeah, I mean, you know, I'm a 70s baby, so he grew up doing the movement and, and all those type of things. I never, you know, I hear people talk about it, but I never had an experience. And to have that pride of... Being there, this is my son. I could see it in his face 
of how proud he was that we were there together. Now I understand it even more now that he's gone. Yeah. Um, was, you know, when you were, when you were cut from the bulls, were you still like, okay, I still feel like I'm good enough to play for an NBA team. Did you get other opportunities to, to do that? Cause I know this was something obviously you, you were passionate about, you know, it's funny. I, it was the pinnacle. Like when I was on that team, they went 72 and 10. Dennis Robin was there. And I tell people in practice every day, it's either Michael Jordan, Scottie Pippen, Ron Harper, Steve Kerr. Tony Kukos. Those are my assignments for four to six months. Yeah. So I reached, I felt I reached a level of expertise where, you know, whether I make a team or not, I was at the top level. So then when I was decided to go to Europe, I figured now it was time to take care of the family and just enjoy the game of basketball. I, I reached that level where, yeah, I was there. <laughs> whether I made it or didn't make it, that was a team that was just tough to make, you know, it just happened to be that way. Yeah. So uh, how did your basketball career, I wouldn't say come to an end, but when did you kind of stop the, you know, kind of switch, okay, I'm going to now do this career um, instead of basketball. It, it was it was kind of weird. I went I kind of went cold turkey. A, a mentor, another mentor of mine, I met him playing against him in Israel, and he was, uh, you know, just told me how to take care of my money, my finances. He moved to Tampa. He retired, moved to Tampa. And every summer I would live somewhere different to try to figure out where I wanted to live when I retired. I knew I didn't want to live in New York. So that, that one summer I went to visit him in Tampa. And... I was like, okay, I was going to buy a piece of property for investment. I had no idea you had to pick the doorknobs, the tile, the ceiling <laughs> fan. You know, I signed all the paperwork, and I was going back overseas to play. And they said, well, no, you got to go down to the design center. you got to you know, do all these things. You don't want to come back and your house be built the wrong way because I had the things catered to my size. I was tired of always ducking to take a shower, so everything was kind of up high. Uh, so I said, okay, let me take, you know, six months off. I had no furniture. Now I think I'm an interior designer overnight, <laughs> right? <laughs> so six months turned into eight months, and it was my brother's year of high school. I'd never seen my brother play high school basketball. Hmm. So I said, you know what? Just take the whole year off. You know, focus on him. He wants to, you know, follow behind you and play college basketball. So I took the year off, built the house, furnished the house, helped him get a Division One scholarship. And then I just fell into some other opportunities, not thinking it was going to stop. The next thing I looked, two or three years, I, I hadn't picked up a basketball again. Wow. Was uh, was it something where you missed it or that you felt like, okay, I feel like I can get back to where I was? You know what? I never really wanted it to define me. It was it was a job. And, you know, the opportunities that came about uh, just kind of took my focus somewhere else. But it wasn't until like March Madness or something that I really feel like, okay, I missed it. But at that side, at the same time, I was like, you know what? I didn't want to stop when I was 40 trying to figure out the next career. And, uh, you know, I thought, you know, 31, I think, is when I stopped. And it was just time to do something else. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, we're going to talk about that something else in yeah. just a few minutes to, with Orange Theory Fitness and with Redline Athletics. But I also wanted to ask you because, you know, um, whether you're an athlete or, or an amateur, you know, uh, guy or gal trying to kind of get, you know, be fit, um, the physical aspect of things is very important, what, yes. you, what you eat, moving, that kind of thing. But mental strength, you know, I know as a runner myself, it's so important. The mental side of things just as important, if not more. So for you, you know, what, what advice would you give, you know, through your experiences to how to be mentally strong as whether it be like as a, you know, a, a skilled athlete right. or just, you know, somebody coming off the street into the gym? You know what? It, it's funny, uh, you know, during my, playing career the mental aspect yeah i just thought you put on some music you bob your head and you were prepared 
It was later on, maybe my second or third year, I started to really understand the mental approach to the game. Because, you know, collegiate, you can get away with, you know, beating some teams here and there. But the professional level, everyone's skill set is to me is, is a certain level. And I really start to tap into podcasts and reading and understanding my body, you know, sleeping patterns. All those things started off later. So if I were to say anything to any young person trying to become an athlete or in that position, it's more than music. Uh, you've got to tap into, you know, your patterns, uh, your sleeping patterns, um, practice, consistency. All those things to me started later. Where I just thought you put on some Jay Z, you bob your head and you was ready for a game. That 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 came later. Yeah, that gets you pumped up a little bit. Yeah, that, that, that takes you for maybe about five minutes. But envision, <laughs> you know, you're making the shot. All those things started, you know, as I became a professional and dive into more in depth on how to be, be a professional and that mental approach to basketball and figuring out maybe what what is your why? What why? What motivates you? What is uh, something that that gets you uh, kind of into the gym or what makes you kind of want more to to be better? Right. Right. Agreed. All right. Agreed. Well, um, now you are with Orange Theory Fitness. How long have you been with uh, OTF now? Ten plus years. Ten plus years. Okay. Ten plus years. All right. Uh, you're, you're a veteran now. <laughs> it's funny. I tell people when I started, there were two in the world. Now there's 13, 1,200. There's wow. one in Dubai. There's one in Costa Rica. There's two or three in Israel. There was only two <laughs> when I started. So wow. it's been great to, to watch that, that journey transform. Now, you uh, work, um, your uh, owner, franchisee, is it for three of them? Yes, we have one here in Columbus. We have one in Peachtree City and one in Cumming. Okay. Uh, we have a license for six, but right now we only have our first three. So all in the Georgia area. Yes. So, yes. so tell me about, um, you know, for those who maybe go to the regular big box gyms <laughs> and they're used to kind of like getting on the treadmill, the ellipticals, lifting weights, maybe going to a... Uh, you know, a, a class, a Zumba or something like that. Tell me about how Orange Theory Fitness is, is maybe different than the, the maybe a typical gym that people are used to. I, I think one of the things that we're fixating on is seeing the results in real time. And one of the things I think uh, differentiates Orange Theory Fitness is you wear a heart rate monitor and you get to see your heart rate, your beats per minute, your heart rate, your calories burn in real time. So you're actually watching it happen. And therefore, I think that fixation creates, okay, I burned 4,000, you know, 500 today. If I do 400 next week and then I add on, well, you can kind of see your results happen in real time. And I think that's sort of where they cornered the market, where people get very excited about seeing their calorie burn right there in front of them. Now, the name, are you trying to get to like this orange level or, or is, it, is it like, a, I know it's color-coded. Right, right. Absolutely. Orange is considered your anaerobic threshold, the point where you feel uncomfortable, uh, where your heart rate is over 84%. And when you do that, you, can, you experience what we call afterburn. You continue to burn calories the next 36 hours. So we're coaching you to those efforts. Some people get there a lot easier because if they're deconditioned, some people come in in good shape. Their efforts have to be a little bit more magnitude because – they're in good shape. So every different level can kind of get there on their own based on where they're starting their fitness journey. Yeah, that's the that's the one thing for me. <laughs> it gets me because I, I run a lot. I'm, yes. I, I run typically 35 to 50 miles a week. So when I do something like that, it, it takes a lot more effort for me to get that heart rate. So yes. I'm like, oh, I'm having to work so hard to get up here, you know. So um, and, uh, you know, in your decade plus of working, you know, with uh, this company and, yes. and doing these classes and, and mentoring folks, I mean, any – any inspiring stories or anything stick out to you? I'm sure there's just tons of success stories, but also people that, um, you know, I'm sure you have kind of the pros and the cons. Yes. You know? It's funny. I wasn't thoroughly committed. The, f the, f the first year 
I ran into it. I wasn't sure if this was, you know, the next career. I thought it was just something that I would do for a little while and, you know, go into something else. And then someone came to me. She had a handwritten letter, and she came to me and said I changed her life. Wow. She was off her t- type, two, type 2 diabetes medication. Her cholesterol levels was down. Her high blood pressure went down. I never had that experience. I've always been the one training. So to have someone tell me I made that impact, that's when I realized, you know, let me put both feet into Orange Theory Fitness and really make this thing uh, move forward. And that's when I really decided that it was going to be a true passion of mine and, and, and really indulged in it. And it's kind of like for you, I mean, uh, you become friends with these clients or people you're with, right? I mean, because you guys are having fun. I mean, it's yeah. not like you're you're kind of a drill sergeant no. out there. You're <laughs> you're you're uh, have some good music on as well, yes, right? Yes, <laughs> it, it, it's really to me to walk into a studio. If I see someone I don't know, I've got to find out. Hey, how you doing? I'm Coach Fox. You know, how long you been a member? I you've got to know who's in your studios, and those are the coaches I try to bring to all three, where it's a family atmosphere where. I'm not just coaching you. You might get some mentorship from the person next to you. And if you can build those type of environments, it's not really a, a environment where they don't want to come to it. It's like, oh, my God, I missed class today. How could I do that? And when you create that culture, I think it does well. And, you know, when, and when, as, as people go into the gym, because memberships will go up right. in the coming weeks, um, and uh, there's there's the strength workouts uh, with the weights, yep. and then there's the um, kind of more the uh, cardio with the ellipticals and the, and the treadmills. So do you uh, prefer or do you recommend a combination of both, like 50-50 or more of one than the other? Or? I think your body needs to experience all of those modalities. Strength, uh, obviously bone density, getting stronger, uh, endurance, cardiovascular-wise, and power, your plyometric, plyometric, and just sometimes your body movement. If you're getting up and out of a chair, we do a lot of those movements that you do in everyday life. So, again, regardless of what fitness level you, you come in, your body needs to experience all those. And for some reason, people like to anticipate what's coming. Oh, I don't want to do strength. Day. It's like, no, your body needs to experience that to get shocked. It needs to experience the endurance, and it needs to ex- experience the power. So when you do all three of those, I think it's the perfect ingredients for success. Yeah, I know there's not a perfect recipe for everyone. It's just on, on an individual basis. But right. on, on average, you know, if somebody wants to know, okay, how many times, you know, for me to kind of be fit or in shape, how many times do I need to to go work out a week? Is it like every other day or or less or more often? I, I try to recommend if you're the average person who maybe runs or you know walks on the weekend three three times three three to four would be great. If you're someone who bikes ride or you you know you're, you're pretty uh you know with your kid and you do a lot of exercise, then a minimum of two. Uh, for someone who's you know runs five Ks, you know I do CrossFit on Tuesday, I do Zumba on. Okay, it might for you might be one time a week. I think we have something that fits everybody's niche based on where they are at their fitness levels. Yeah, well, and and, and I'm glad. To, I, I guess the gyms are kind of fully open, but everybody's kind of you kind of got the social distancing, yes. the cleaning all the machines, those kind of things. That's kind of still happening right now. Yeah, it's definitely a, a different. Um, I would say than when we. A few years ago, just the cleanliness and the constant uh, sanitizing. And I mean, I think it's good just for the business, the fitness industry in itself to be cleaning each and every class. So hopefully, when things go back to normal, we still keep those protocols in place to to make sure it stays as healthy as possible. I agree. And and speaking of coaching and mentoring, you also work. 
as, as as in that position and as a partner with Redline Athletics. Tell me about that. Are these are you working with amateur pro athletes? Are you specifically basketball or? Well, then now I'm back to the kids, okay. which is a great uh, opportunity. Uh, my major in school was early childhood development. My mom was a, a big factor in that. You know, pre K teacher for thirty plus years in New York. So I guess that's where I got that from. But uh, no, young kids, uh, five to eighteen. Uh, sport-specific, whether they play lacrosse, soccer. Uh, we focus on speed and agility, you know, strength training. Some of it is sport-specific. I tend to lean towards the basketball piece because that's where I feel I have a lot to offer. But, you know, I'm always involved with, with everything we do. And, uh, you know, what, what is that like to be on, you know, because, I mean, obviously your your day job yes. is you work with folks of all ages, could be like whatever, you know, 10 to, to 90. Yes. But these are, you know, a lot of teenagers or, or preteens, um, people that are maybe or want to be at the, you know, maybe the top level yes. of, of on their team. So what's that like in terms of how do you work with them differently than you would like, a, you know, somebody at Orange Theory Fitness? It, it's funny. The, the young generation, they're a sponge. They, they tend to absorb everything. Uh, there's a level of respect because obviously I, I've, I've been to where they're trying to go. Uh, but I think that's where when you say unique, I'm able to adapt to and just be just as silly if you're seven and not be as structured because you're seven. And then be able to walk into our hysteria, have someone who's 42 just tore the ACL and they want to get back into shape. And I think basketball has allowed me to experience so many cultures and so many people that I feel there's no one what age that I can't relate to or be able to get some type of bond with. I think basketball allowed me to have that confidence. When someone says, oh, I'm from Israel, I'm like, well, where? Well, what do you know? Like, I've been there. Or from, you know... Costa Rica are from, uh, you know, Spain. Well, we're in Spain. I've lived there. And I think that allows me to, to just have a fun-loving experience with whoever walks through those doors. Yeah, and, and with old-school basketball, I remember coaches like, you know, like Bob Knight, Dean okay. Smith. And, you know, uh, Bob Knight and, and maybe old-school coaches known for being kind of demonstrative and very kind of, you know, on top of things. And, and whereas, like, uh, Dean Smith was the kind of the calming force. Um, so for you, you know, uh, you know, um, what do you see the pros and cons of coaching? I mean, because some people say that, like, if you're hard on a kid, they're going to be – they're going to get better. But uh, does does that – you think that's effective or not? I, I've – you know, I had a, a chance to, to watch Phil Jackson on how he handled those personalities. I think people give a lot of credit to Jordan, but Phil was just a masterful in dealing with Dennis Rodman, Scottie Pippen, all those egos – in that one room, he was masterful in, in dealing with those. And he wasn't boisterous at all. It was sort of a zen, <laughs> a zen-like approach where my first year in college, you know, you know, my dad wouldn't sit behind the bench because he's like, I'm going I'm to knock your coach out for the way he spoke to me. <laughs> and I just realized I didn't want to, you know, experience that at the collegiate level. And it was, I was fortunate enough to have some hindsight to say I wanted to transfer. I just think the young kids, they just need guidance and, I think, direction. I don't think being forceful – is the avenue. I think, you know, you've got to adjust to the times. You know, obviously when I came up, that might have been the norm, but this generation is different, and you've got to, to me, change the way you deal with them to get the best out of them. Yeah. So uh, so what's next for uh, Coach or Sly Fox? Uh, I guess continuing to inspire folks to, to be fit and to be better people overall in 2021 and beyond? Or? Yeah. Like I had class today, and I tell people we're not waiting to 2021. We're starting now. You know, let's start that mentality, that mantra that we're going to be successful going into 21. Try not to have them think they have to wait to – 
that you know the ball drops or January first starts. You know what? I don't know what the future is. I know I'm very uh, content and happy with what I'm doing. I know there's an inner piece that I tell you about. I'm always trying to develop. Uh, you know, people say, "Well, you drive from Columbus to come in is two and a half hours. That's too much." I was like, "No, I podcast. I take those opportunities to always try to enrich myself. So it never really seems like." I'm driving without a purpose. And uh, so I don't know what the future holds. I know I, I really, really just love what I'm doing now. But I'm always, I always tell myself my mantra is I'm one person away from life just, you know, exchanging, changing drastically. Yeah. So no, 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 you won't be running a marathon with me in any time future. Uh, but, you know what? Buddy's got me running, though. <laughs> Buddy's got me running every once in that's a, a while. That's a for, so. for, former guest of ours, yes. Buddy, Buddy Dutois, fellow, yes. fellow owner. And, yeah. Yes. Great, great, great person uh it's funny he pursued us for about two years before we finally pulled the trigger i was like why we didn't do it two years sooner <laughs> but just a great person to have within the organization you know spiritual wise it just you know brings to a, a level of balance that we need absolutely all yeah. right well thanks very much yeah. uh coach fox abdul <laughs> for uh stopping by we appreciate it and uh hopefully see you out there at the uh the studio sometime soon thanks for having me absolute pleasure And you know, I met uh, Coach Fox uh, a couple years ago at Orange Theory Fitness when our run across Georgia team was doing a fundraiser, and we got he uh, coached us up, motivated us with some great music and fun uh, for the workout. I love hearing him talk about uh, you know working hard, uh, humility, and being consistent. Those things really for him are are very important in life. And congratulations also to uh, Coach Abdul Fox who uh, just recently um, got a new one-mile benchmark for running. He did that in 6 minutes and 37 seconds, which is about uh, 15 seconds faster than my fastest ever mile. So at uh, about 50 years old, he is uh, still uh, very, very fit. Uh, turning now to our final segments of this Run the Race podcast, which uh, hopefully you will share that this with your friends and tell them to, to listen to any of the previous 50 episodes. Uh, we have a, uh, a parting gift, a great inspirational quote from the GOAT, Michael Jordan, and also a food for thought with some uh, news about b-ball. I told you earlier uh, in kind of a history lesson when it comes to basketball and James Naismith. Uh, this article comes from Aletia, a Catholic worldwide network. Uh, it's called, Thanks to James Naismith, Many Young People Were Brought to Christ Through the Game of Basketball. So James Naismith, he was convinced, quote, he could better exemplify the Christian life through sports than in the pulpit and helping develop you know, the, the whole person. You know, basketball for Naismith was just not simply a game, but a tool of evangelism. In fact, uh, during that time in the YMCA's, he uh, you know made that game a part of mission trips and recorded that many young people were brought to Christ through their missionaries and through the game of basketball. And uh, it's, it's actually how basketball was brought to China through the YMCA missionaries and became one of that country's most popular sports. An associate professor for uh, religion at the University of Kansas, Michael Zogri, in an interview recently said, quote, Naismith's approach was to put Christianity out there in front of people and try to influence them through positive character development versus uh, formal preaching. In the end, Naismith firmly believed in connecting sports and faith, writing, quote, whenever I witness games in a church league, I feel that my vision almost half a century ago of the time when the Christian people would we recognize the true value of athletics has become a reality. So uh, a great way to connect fitness and faith. 
and turning on uh, the uh, kind of fit side of things for basketball. An actor who you may very well know, Adam Sandler, might be one of your one of your favorite ones. He's a New York City native, and he recently starred in the Netflix blockbuster, basketball-related, called Uncut Gems, alongside co-star and former NBA champion Kevin Garnett. So uh, Sandler um, had a, has a kind of an unorthodox style of playing basketball. Apparently he showed that off at an L.A. fitness pickup game during the Uncut Gems pr- promotional tour. Uh, but, you know, Sandler also has uh, had a, a viral video with a one-on-one against his uh, former dog, Meatball. There was some classic footage on social media. And uh, even against his dog, uh, he called his own fouls and sent meat flying with his crossover. Sadly, his dog, Meatball, died of a heart attack back in 2004. So that was some classic a viral footage dog versus Sandler and a variety magazine reporting that Sandler is uh, returning to the big screen in the basketball movie. That's going to be called hustle. The brief synopsis is that Sandler, Adam Sandler plays an American basketball scout who is uh, fired and discovers a talented player abroad, deciding to bring him to the U S proving that they both have what it takes to make it to the NBA. Looking forward to that, uh, that movie. One of my favorite movies of all time is uh, Hoosiers starring Gene Hackman as the as the uh, troubled coach of a basketball team in Indiana. And we were talking about uh, Michael Jordan earlier. Our parting gift comes from uh, the best basketball player ever. He has a lot of good quotes. He says, I can accept failure. Everyone fails at something, but I cannot accept not trying. The key really is to just to be a part of something and, and not give up. Uh, always, always try. Even if you're going to fail, don't be afraid of failing. That that leads to success and and learning and becoming a better person overall. Closing now in prayer, uh, God, as we enter this new year, uh, give us opportunities to witness, to reach out to others, love others, and also uh, show your love and uh, to to really serve you in the way you want. God, we just use us. Uh, in whatever way you see fit uh, in this world that's hurting, a nation that's going through so much right now with the coronavirus and politics, God, that uh, we can bring uh, some uh, sense of inspiration and motivation to people to just uh, kind of go out there and and get fit and to uh, just be better people overall and to to look to you for our strength, for our peace, uh, and for anything that we need, God, uh, that you, you you are strong when we are weak. You name me, pray. Amen. Thank you so much again for joining us for the Run the Race podcast and uh, talking about one of my favorite sports on this episode, uh, basketball. And uh, uh, thank you so much for tuning in uh, for the last uh, year plus to uh, run the race. And uh, we hope you will tell others about it. And also uh, subscribe if you haven't to already. Make sure to go on there and do that. And write a review uh, at the bottom of the Apple podcast page. Until next time, we'll, uh, we'll dribble it out.